It is so good to see you guys this morning. I'm excited to be able to get into the Word of God, but also at the end of the service we will be partaking in communion together and just kind of uh, spending time with the Lord um, in remembering all that He has done on our behalf. So let us continue in our series of King Jesus in the, math, in the Gospel of Matthew. We left off in Matthew chapter 12, so you can make your way over to, to Matthew chapter 12 this morning. We will be covering the middle portion of this chapter. Uh, my hope is that next time we meet, we will be finishing up this chapter. Now, we barely touched on, last week, in our last study, we barely touched on verses 22 and 23. Um, because of time restraints, and I know I always like push it to the limit with you guys with all, you know, and I, I, I'm usually really conscious of time, but sometimes, man, it just gets, ah, I just don't want to stop, and I know that I should. But uh, we barely touched on verses 22 and 23 that really have a huge impact on this morning's text. And I know that I could have not even covered them at all last week, but I did. Um, and so we just touched on it. So, if you are already in our text here, I know what your bulletin says, but I changed it. We're going to start in verse 22. And then we'll read to verse 37, if you will. So follow along with me. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And he healed, them, healed him so that the blind and mute man both saw and spoke. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to destruction. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges." But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of heaven has come to you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, 
How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you, are, you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Father in heaven, even as we have read your word and are in this portion of scripture, Lord Jesus, please help me in delivering this message, Lord to make sense of it, to teach it with clarity, Lord God. I pray for my brothers and sisters who, are, who, who have heard this word right now, that their ears would be open and that you would help them to hear what you have them hear, Lord. Blessed be your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we go back to the verses that we covered last week, but we really didn't cover last week, Verses 22 and 23, as we go back to these verses where it says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute, and he healed him. Now, some commentators believe that it could have been the religious leaders who had brought this poor demon-possessed, blind, and mute man to Jesus. If that is the case, and again, I'm only speculating because some commentators go this way and some go that way. And so when I, when I look at things like that, I'm going to give you both sides or, 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 or speculate myself, you know. But if that is the case, if it is possible that they did that, it wasn't for this man's well-being because they really didn't care about this man. Their, their whole thought was, we're going to trap Jesus. We saw that last week. Again, whether that man that was in the synagogue with the withered hand was also a setup or not. Again, we kind of look at these things going, okay, these guys, they're on the scene. These religious leaders, they are on the scene. And they're not there for the well-being of the people. They're not there to give out. They're not there even to receive. They're there to find fault with who Jesus is. They have come against Jesus, and the war is on, <laughs> in their estimation. This guy has come on the scene, and he is threatening them. And again, I, I think I've shared it with you. The religious leaders had every right to scrutinize Jesus. They had every right, because they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the watchdogs, if you will. But <laughs> they should have known who Jesus is. Because they knew the scriptures. But they didn't want to acknowledge him. And so the war is on. With this whole little situation here, if in fact this guy was a setup, man, we have a triple whammy here. <laughs> the guy's demon possessed, he is blind, and he, he is mute. We've seen Jesus touch people. Throughout the time in the scriptures here in, in, in Matthew, but this was a triple whammy at one shot, you know, that, that this guy would come in. And if Jesus cannot touch this man with this triple whammy going on, 
then these guys are going to discredit Jesus. That's what they're there for. Any claims of him being the Son of Man, the one who was to come, the Messiah, would be out the window if he cannot deal with the triple whammy. Oh, maybe a one whammy or two whammy, but not a triple whammy. Come on. You can't go that far, Jesus. All these people going, man, could this be the Son of God? And so they bring this guy in. And to their chagrin, to their disappointment, to their humiliation, in one fell swoop, man, it doesn't tell us how Jesus did this. It just says that he healed the guy. He healed the guy. He delivered the guy from demon possession. And then he healed the unhealable, in those days, somebody that's blind and mute. Oh, the guy could hear, but he can't see or nor can he talk. And in one fell swoop, man, he does it. Now, could it be that this man just happened to be in the right place at the right time? And the religious leaders were also that lucky that day that they had been there at the right place at the right time to witness this triple whammy. Man, what a day. Or could it be that it was a setup and they are humiliated once again? And this poor man, maybe he sees the tension, or not sees the tension. Here's the tension. Sorry, the guy's blind. (laughs) But He heard the tension that was going on. Well, he could see after the fact, but you know what I'm saying. Again, the multitude that were there, they had witnessed the deliverance here and the healing. And it says that they were amazed and stunned with bewildered wonder. And their question is, as they see this happen... Could in fact, could it be that this Jesus is the son of David? And what by saying that, they are saying, is this the Messiah, the sent one, the one that we have been promised after 400 years of God being silent, is this guy the one, the one that heals, the one that delivers, the one that could, a triple whammy is nothing to him. And the religious leaders that were among them, the the multitude, perhaps, again, a big setup, now they have an important decision to make, to acknowledge at least. Is he the Messiah? You see, the, the question has gone out by the multitude, could this be the son of David? And these guys, being the religious leaders, have to make some kind of acknowledgement is he or is he not the son of David? Or do, we, or do we fight against the obvious? Because again, a triple whammy is no big... I mean, it's a big thing. That this man could do that. Now understand, as we get into our text here, who are the, 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 the players who are in our text Now, Jesus, in that scenario, could be addressing the multitude as he begins to to speak what we've just read this morning. 
And he is addressing the multitudes and the religious leaders just so happen to be in and among the multitude. But the direct players here is not, it's not the, 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 the guy who's been delivered and healed right now. He's already done. This portion of, of Scripture that we get into from verse 24 to 37, the main players there, the, these are the direct players. It's, it's the religious leaders and Jesus. Multitude, they're off in the background. This is, th- these are who these guys are. Jesus is going to respond to what the Pharisees said. When they said... In verse 24, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. He is responding to them, the Pharisees. It says here, but Mark's gospel tells us that that it's the scribes. Again, these guys were more of, of, of fulfilling the law. The scribes were the ones that were writing down the law. So you have two groups. And so that's why I often just lump them all in to with or with the religious leaders. Because I know that there's different sects that are involved here. So I, I, I bring them into the religious leaders category as a whole. But it tells us that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, are hearing the multitude say, could this be the son of David? And again, they have to acknowledge that. Is he the son of David? Or will they attribute this deliverance and this healing to something else or someone else? Well, we have our answer in this verse. This fellow does not do this except by the the, the ruler of the demons, his name being Beelzebub. Now, This is not the first time that the religious leaders have said something like this because back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 34, after Jesus had delivered someone from demon possession, the Pharisees, not mentioning Beelzebub, did mention that he did this by the ruler of the demons. But here we have the name Beelzebub. And only in the New Testament is the name Beelzebub associated with Satan. Beelzebub was a, a god of Ekron. Ekron was a, a city, a, Palestine, or a, a Philistine city in the Old Testament about 35 miles west of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and it was the Pharisees, or, or not the Pharisees, but the, the Philistines who, who ruled that city and they had a god by the name of Beelzebub. Now, the name Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies, i.e., averter of the plague of flies. That's, that's what the name was. And it's interesting. I don't know if you, you guys remember, you youngsters won't remember, but you older people will remember Mork and Mindy. Remember Mork and Mindy? Do you remember when, when, when Robin Williams was about to, to disappear? He'd say, Beelzebub. Isn't that interesting? I never knew that as a kid. I just thought that was a funny word. It's not until I became a Christian later on that I realized, he was calling upon the Lord of the flies. <laughs> Beelzebub. He'd do that. 
Isn't that crazy? Anyways, be that as it may. That's what the word Beelzebub means. Lord of the flies. But the Jews, to ridicule this God, they, 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 they called him, him, they called Beelzebub, this God of the flies, they called him Beelzebul. Beelzebul. Which means Lord of Dung. The God, the Dung God. For you guys who are going, I don't know what Dung is. <laughs> it's a King James word for waste, <laughs> refuse. <laughs> That's what the Jews called that God, Beelzebul. <laughs> I'm not going to go anywhere past that. And more than likely, more than likely, these religious leaders are using the word Beelzebul instead of Beelzebub. Because I have a little footnote on my Bible that says they probably use the word Beelzebul. Either way, it stinks that they would do that. Either way, they're just being pests or a nuisance or annoyance. But that is what they're saying. He does not do this by the Spirit of God. He is doing this either by the Lord of the flies or the, or the God or the dung God. That's what they're doing. They're, they, are, they are coming against him. I mean, they are just being downright mean and evil. They know exactly what they're saying and how they're saying it. And so... It says in verse 25, but Jesus knew their thoughts. They didn't say it directly to him. Now, whether they were all thinking it or they were whispering it to one another amongst the multitude doesn't tell us how, but Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, the fact that Jesus knew their thoughts and he starts talking about what they were thinking or whispering over here in the background, you would think that that would say something to them going, huh, he knew what we were talking about. But they probably thought it's just a coincidence that all of a sudden he brings up the name Beelzebub, Beelzebul. It's funny because Psalm 94, 11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of men, that they are futile. And in this case, he knew the thoughts of men, that they were evil. Because that's what they're, they're being right now, evil. He knew that their conscience was now seared, hardened, if you will. You see, Jesus is not only going to put them in their place and make them look silly. But he was also going to reveal to them their fate. That's how serious this is, what they were doing. He was going to reveal to them their fate in this portion of Scripture that we are covering this morning. What Jesus does here is that he points out that their statement that they are making is both illogical and impractical. 
In other words, they had not thought this statement through here when they threw it out. I could guarantee you they had no clue that somebody would be challenging what they would be saying. Because whatever these guys said, nobody challenges. Except Jesus at this point. When he knew that they were saying, he doesn't do this except by the demons, the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub. And he begins to talk about them. If in fact, Jesus was casting out demons by Satan, the dung god, I will refer to him as a dung god for most of our study here. If he is doing this by Satan's power, then Satan would be working against himself. Now we know that Satan is stupid, but he's not that stupid. He is not. I mean, why would Satan let Jesus cast out demons from, uh, a, a, and, and free a man who Satan has already captured, basically, or possessed, or taken under his control? Why would Satan do that? That would be counterproductive to the realm of who Satan is and what he is all about. He would be dividing his own kingdom. And bringing a destruction upon that. And again, that stupidity that these guys would say that. And what we also see here is that Jesus, as he's talking about this, he affirms to us that Satan does have a kingdom. That he is the God of this world, of this age, of, the, of this realm, if you will. He is also acknowledging that Satan has a house or a city. But a house, referring to the possession of a man's body, as we will see later on in this chapter, in verses 43 and 44. If Satan casts out his own demonic helpers, then he is opposing himself and he is dividing his kingdom. He is destroying his house which would not make sense at all. Not even in this satanic realm, it wouldn't make sense. And in verse 27 here, it says, But if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Now apparently... There was some Jewish exorcists going on in and around that area. <clears throat> that they were casting out demons. And they would have been sons and or disciples of the religious leaders. And so, so now Jesus is saying, if in fact I'm doing that, then your disciples are doing the same thing. And it's interesting because in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 to 15, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you in the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a chief a Jewish chief priest who did so. 
And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) Who are you? You see, they were going around doing things like that. And if you know the story, this demon just pounces on them. This person pounces on these guys and he just, he tears them apart and they run out naked. (laughs) What a sight. And so whether these guys had the power to cast out demons or not, I'm not quite sure. Although we do know that that Jesus gave his disciples power over demons, that they could go and cast them out. But I would be assuming that those itinerant Jewish priests or who, who were out there doing that, I could only assume that they're doing it for good and not for evil. Whether they're doing it, they, I, I don't know, I don't even think that they, they, they were aware that Satan would be involved in it. They're, they're just going like, no, we want this person touched or delivered. And so I assume that they are doing it for good and not evil. But Jesus... He poses the question to them, to these religious leaders, if in fact I'm doing it like that, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because if it is all Satan's power, then they are also in league on the same side as Satan, if that's your rationale. But of course, the religious leaders were not going to be drawing that conclusion anytime soon. And Jesus says, therefore, they shall be your judges. In other words, by your reasoning, your own son's disciples will condemn you and your argument is what he's telling them. Because the religious leaders could not prove that Jesus was doing this by Beelzebub. They just thought they'd make that statement because nobody was going to challenge them on that. And people would believe them as long as they kept on saying it. People would believe that. And so what they were doing, they were just casting the Spurgeon on Jesus, trying to defame his name. And so in verse 28, Jesus says this, But if, (laughs) I like that, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. But if I do this, man, these guys are in big heap trouble. A little Indian lingo there for you. They are in big heap trouble. I, I love the fact that Jesus says, but if. If there is even a remote possibility, the slightest of chances that I am doing this by the, by the Spirit of God, then you have missed it completely. And it is all on you, on nobody else. Because you're seeing the work of God, the hand of God, the finger of God, as, as, as uh, Luke would, would mention that. You have seen the finger of God at work in this place, and you are fighting against it, and it's on you. The kingdom of God is, was and is, was, was standing right in front of them. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven come to earth. He says, the kingdom of God is standing right in front of you, and you have missed it by a long shot. 
Because they could not get themselves to admit that Jesus was the son of David. They could not get themselves to admit that. And so they come up with this lame excuse that he's doing it by the prince of the demons, Beelzebub. And Jesus now mentions in verse 29, he says, Or how can one enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? The strong man here is the dung god, Jesus. Or not the dung god. The dung god, Satan. That's who that is. The strong man. And Jesus had already beaten the strong man back in chapter 4 of our text or of, of our gospel here. When he was tempted by the enemy and he beat him and beat him and beat him time and time again. And he would drive the last nail in, in the coffin, if you will, on the cross. And with his resurrection, he would beat Satan completely. One stronger than Satan was now on the scene. Satan's kingdom city, house, was not being divided. It was being obliterated, devastated, and annihilated by what Jesus was doing. You see, Satan, Satan as, as much power as he might have on this earth, he still bows down to Jesus. He still shudders at the name of Jesus. Oh, don't even talk about the blood of Jesus around him. <laughs> he who is not with me is against me, Jesus says in verse 30. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus basically has just drawn the line in the sand, telling these religious leaders, if you are not for me, you are against me. If you are not working with me on this, in the kingdom of God, you are working against me and the kingdom of God. And your words and your actions will prove it. It's interesting because when Elijah was on the scene and he came against 450 prophets of Baal, the main god of Baal, of Beelzebub, there was a time when, when, again, this challenge happens. And, and right before he destroys and obliterates the prophets of Baal, he looks to the people. In, in, in 1 Kings 18.21, it says, And Elijah called, or came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered him not a word. And we see that same thing happening here with these religious leaders, that they are not answering Jesus. But they really didn't have to answer him. Because Jesus already knew what side they were on. And by not answering, they were answering on what side they were taking. They made it loud and clear. I'm sure the common people wanted to hear their answer because nobody challenged them. And Jesus is challenging them here. And they answer not a word. 
You see, the common people, they heard Jesus gladly and received Him. They responded to the message and repented. And they followed after Him to learn of Him, to become more like Him. Whereas the religious leaders, they were a different story. Oh, some would come to Him in the end there that we've read about. But for the most most part, these guys were going to stand their ground. And they would resist Him every step of the way. And Jesus knew that. And because He knew that, He goes on to this next part in verses 31 and 32. He knows who they are. He knows all about them. And He understands and knows their fate here. And so in verse 31, He says, Therefore... I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And here we come to the reference of the unpardonable sin. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Oh my, people freak out, man. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? And it grips them. They concern themselves and they worry themselves over that. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? But, but look at what we just read. Right off the bat, Jesus says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. He says that. The word blasphemy means to speak reproachfully. Malicious misrepresentation. But Jesus says that if someone maliciously misrepresents the Holy Spirit and the work that He is doing by saying that it is being done by Beelzebub, the dung god, Satan... He is being specific here. Understand that as we read our text, keeping things in context here. That person or group of people that would be misrepresenting the Holy Spirit and the work that is being done are in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. And this is specifically directed at the the actions of the religious leaders, not the common people that were listening The unpardonable sin here was that they were attributing the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, that that, that Christ was doing among them to Beelzebub, the dung god, Satan. By saying that, that he continues to do this work Continuing to say that Jesus is doing all of this because he has an unclean spirit himself, as Mark's gospel tells us in this story. Understand that Jesus, again, he is not talking to the common people here. The multitudes. He is not talking to them. He is not referring to them. He is not accusing them of the unpardonable sin. 
He is saying this directly to the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day. These people, this group, had now come to the point, just like Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. If you remember the story, when God sent Moses and Aaron to go speak to him, to say, let my people go. And if you're reading the story, it says that he would not let the people go. And it came to a point where it says, and he could not let the people go. It went from would not to could not. He could not. His pride, his arrogance, everything about him would not. He would fight against God. And the religious leaders are at that point right now in our text that their hearts have become so seared, so hardened against the work of the Holy Spirit. Like like Pharaoh, who had been given chance after time, time again, that, that, that he got to a point where he could not do it. He could not do it. And these religious leaders are coming to that point, if not already, are already at that point, to where they could not, they could not side with Jesus. No matter the evidence that's before them. The triple whammy, out the window. Nobody can do that except God. And they could not. Attribute that to the work of God or that He is the Son of David. So they're going to fight it and their hearts have become seared and hardened. These religious leaders are at that point. So, can this happen today? No. Not in the same way, guys. Not in the same way. You see... What was happening to them in the present? They they were fighting against the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, it could be said that 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 they could come against Jesus in His humanity, but when now you're dealing with the deity part of it, and they're saying, "No way, Jose, that cannot ever happen." The only thing that cannot be forgiven today is the rejection of God the Son, Jesus. Because He is the only way to God the Father. All all sin is forgivable. Every sin is forgivable. Every one of them. As long as there is life and there is breath within someone, it is forgivable. There is hope of forgiveness. But once someone has rejected and rejected and rejected and gotten to the point where they breathe their last breath, then, and only then, is there no more hope and no more room for forgiveness. Because Jesus is the only way. And and I guess this this would be the ultimate rejection where that takes place, when somebody breathes their last and there is no chance for a pardon. And it's interesting because they, uh, uh, um, Stephen, the first martyr, in Acts chapter 7, as he's fighting against these religious leaders who are about to kill him, 
He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And that is a dangerous place to be, to always be resisting the Holy Spirit. That, that, that someone would come into church and like, dang, I think that preacher guy is going to go that way. He's going to go there, give me an opportunity, and I'm going to resist it once again, and I'm going to skate out of here without receiving Jesus. Yes. It's like, don't. Don't. Don't keep on resisting the Holy Spirit. Because everything is forgivable. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. Everything is forgivable. But when you come to that point where God continues to pour out His Spirit and to try to draw you in, and you keep on becoming so hard that your heart becomes so seared, and only God will know when someone's going, He's going, nope, their heart, they've passed that threshold. Again, we don't know that. We don't know when that is. And so we will continue to preach to people. But God knows when somebody has crossed that line that that they could not come to Him. But I have to believe that God does not wish that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He will give them till their dying breath to do that. I like what my footnote says here in the Schofield Study Bible. It says, anyone who is concerned about the rejection of Christ has obviously not committed the unpardonable sin. And you can still come to Christ. Because if you're going, I I think I've done it. It's like, well, repent. Turn. Accept Him. Receive Him. He will in no way cast you out. And that is forgivable. In verse 33, it says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Jesus makes this clear-cut distinction between good fruit and bad fruit. That which is produced in the heart. Again, he is still dealing with the religious leaders here. And he's telling them either make it good or bad. Again, once again, man, he's saying, here's a distinct line. And they still have the opportunity to receive his message. And we see that with, with Nicodemus and with Joseph of Arimathea, who was part of that group, and I'm sure there were, there were others that, that, that took him up on that. And he says, here's that clear line. Between good fruit and bad fruit. What is produced in the heart. And he uses the illustration of a tree because a tree is not so much known by its bark or its branches or its leaves, but it is known by its fruit. The word good means better, fair, well, honest, worthy. Contrasting that with the word bad, which means rotten, putrid, unfit for use, corrupt, worthless. And so Jesus makes that clear-cut distinction between who he was and what was in his heart and who the religious leaders were and what was in their heart. He makes that distinction right there. Because of what they both 
produced in their heart was very obvious. One was good, the other was bad. One was worthy, the other one is worthless. I truly believe that up until this point, in that day and age, the common people really did not know what a good tree looked like or tastes like. All they had seen was the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the pressures that they were putting on people. And here's that clear-cut distinction, and it was so obvious to the common person that they made that distinction. And they chose what was obvious and what was easy to choose. I want the good. I want the good fruit. I will follow after Jesus. You see, it's that plain and simple that it's very obvious that the common people understood it. And it was the religious leaders that were fighting against that. And so in verse 34, he says, brood of vipers. (laughs) Well, that's not very nice of Jesus. last chapter man he 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 referred to himself as gentle and lowly in heart but oh yeah back then he was talking to the common people (laughs) come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden i give you rest learn of me for i am gentle and lowly in heart you see he wasn't talking to a bunch of snakes back then he was talking to some common people that were hurting in their lives and desperate for some rest in their life. The word brood here in the original Greek and in the King James Version is generation. Generation of vipers. And that the word generation means offspring. By analogy, produce. Literally or figuratively, fruit. Generation. The word brood is associated with litter, offspring, family, children. In other words, what sweet, gentle Jesus is saying to these religious leaders is the fruit does not fall far from the tree. Because you look just like and you act just like that old serpent. Your father, the devil, the dung god. That's who you're resembling right now, you brood of vipers. At another time, in John chapter 8, verses 44 to 47, as he's battling these religious leaders again, who have called themselves, you know, children of Abraham. Abraham is our father. Jesus turns around to them, and he says, You are of your father the devil. And the desire of your father you want to do. For he is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. In verse 46 he says, Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And in verse 47, he says, He who is of God hears my words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. He is telling this to the religious leaders. 
Those who were the watchdogs over the Word of God. They have gotten so blinded that we saw last week that when they didn't like what Jesus was saying, they plotted on how they were to kill Him. To destroy Him. Code word. Destroy means kill. (laughs) That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to kill Him. These are the religious leaders. And He is calling them out here. And He says to them, how can you... Being evil, speak good things to these guys. In other words, it's just not in you. It's not in you to speak what is good. Man, he is sealing their fate. He is telling them, this is who you are. And by his mercy, even at that moment, he is still giving them grace. Telling them, this is who you are. Repent. Oh, he doesn't use that word. But he's telling them, how can you do this? This is who you are. Unless he is, because he is God, sealing their fate right now. The word evil, which is very interesting, because when you take away the word D from devil, you get the word evil. (laughs) The word evil here means bad, grievous, lewd, malicious, wicked, is what he's saying. You're wicked. For out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus could not make it any more clear to them of where these religious leaders were at. Out of your heart you speak. What, what, what is built up in your heart, what you, are, what you have right here will come out of your mouth, he's saying. And their hearts... What was coming out of it was truly evil. Even though they had this facade of being so holy and righteous, he says, it's not even in you. And again, only God knows if they had gone too far. But man, oh man, is Jesus speaking of some destiny here. Only God knows if they had passed that point of no return. Guys, it's not for us to know that. It really isn't. You don't know someone's heart. You don't know what God has already sealed for them. And so what we do, because we don't know God's sovereignty or can explain God's sovereignty, we don't know who's called and who's not, who's going to heaven and who's not. And so we preach to all and we share with all. And as long as they have breath, (laughs) we give them an opportunity for repentance, man, because that's what we've been called to. It's God's department. It's His responsibility. This portion of Scripture that we have covered this morning deals directly with the religious leaders and not. Understand that. He is not dealing with the common people here. But as I've reminded you before, the principles of the Word of God are always here for us to understand and to do. We never want to come get to a point like the religious leaders that our hearts become seared, even as Christians. And so the danger is for us as Christians is that we can start looking like and acting like the religious leaders that we become so legalistic, so sour, tart, (laughs) and bitter that we look down on everybody else and forget where we've come from. 
Repentance is in order for the believer when we get, if and when we get to that point that we would stop it. Because we're looking just like our text says here. And for the non-believer, the danger is that you, if you continue to resist and reject and fight against the loving God who wants to make you a new creation, you're in danger of sealing your fate. And again, only God knows the heart of man when it's become so seared, so hardened that a man, after so many times, will not receive Christ, comes to a point where he could not or can't. And so I want to, I want to read these last four verses through the Amplified as we close up here because they are so simple and yet so powerful. In verse 34... It says, you offsprings, your offspring of, of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil, wicked? For out of the fullness, the overflow, the superabundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man from his inner good treasure flings forth good things. And the evil man out of his inner evil storehouse flings forth evil things. Verse 36. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will give account for every idle, inoperative, non-working word they speak. But by your words, you will be justified and acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned and sentenced. I, I want to read to you before we take communion. In 2 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 5. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And do, not, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Verse 6. But I... Trust that you will not you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable. Though you may be may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth before the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the, the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. That we would examine ourselves. I'm going to ask that the worship team comes up here and we're going to close in prayer and that in in our time of prayer and as they begin to sing that you would examine your heart before the lord what an amazing time we have to be able to sit before the lord and ask for forgiveness for repentance for anything that may have happened already today or this week so that when you come up and you can come up at, at your leisure to receive the elements 
the bread that represents his body that was broken and beaten and bruised and split open for you and the cup which represents his blood that cleanses us and makes us white as snow. What an opportunity we have to spend some time with Jesus here and allow him to minister to our souls. Again, people, God loves you so much that he would send his son and that his son would be obedient even to the death of the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that as we come before you and we prepare our hearts to partake of communion, Lord God, I pray that our hearts would be softened and that we would come to a place within our hearts right now before you and nobody else, Lord, that you would examine us. And if there is any sin, Lord, anything that is hindering us right now, that we might be able to lift it up to you, God, and you will touch and you will heal. And that we would be worthy of receiving this cup and this bread and remembering all that you did for us, Lord. Father, I do pray that if there's any in this room right now, Lord God, who have been rejecting and resisting you, I pray that this moment you would just soften their hearts and that they would repent and say, I'm sorry, Lord. And that you would make them into a new creation even at this moment. That you would deliver them and that you would heal them in one fell swoop, Lord. Because that's who you are. And I want to give you that opportunity if you're here right now. Maybe I just, I, I don't know who you are and you've been coming here and you need repentance in your life that you would just, just say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know all of this, but I know that I need Jesus. If that's you, just lift up your hand right where you're at. I just want to pray for you. Amen. I see your hands. Is there anybody else? Father, I do pray, God, for those who have raised their hands. I pray, God, that, Lord, they would realize and understand that you, you are coming into their lives right now and you are making them new creations. That, Lord, no matter what they might do from here on out, Lord God, they are yours. And, Lord, I know that you know the heart. I don't know it. But, Lord, I just want to believe, Lord God, that it's that simple that we can come to you and ask for forgiveness. And so, Lord, do that work right now in the lives of these people. Lord, let us remember all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.